Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. Hi, I'm Alan Monticilio, and you're listening to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Calder Fire came very close to burning thousands of homes and businesses in the city of South Lake Tahoe. But in the end, it didn't. And the way Tahoe prepared can serve as an example of how to protect more California towns from catastrophic fire in the long run. I would say South Lake Tahoe and the success firefighters had in stopping the Calder Fire as it approached communities is a big success story. Today, how Tahoe protected itself from the Calder Fire. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. What is the state of the Caldor fire as we're talking right now? As of this taping, um, it is not 100% contained, but it's nearly there. I think it's 93% contained. Danielle Venton reports on climate for KQED. There are fewer firefighters working on it. It's not threatening any um, communities or homes at the moment. We know now a lot more about how the fire burned uh, and and how the condition that it left forests in. I I can sort of vividly remember the peak of the fire when when thousands of people were forced to evacuate. It really felt like kind of a nightmare. At that time, did it really seem like Tahoe could burn? Yeah. Just to put the Caldor fire in a little bit of context, this was when the Dixie Fire, which was which was an incredibly challenging fire, had already wiped out communities like Greenville. And then there was suddenly this new fire that was threatening even more homes and even more people. And it just felt like this compounding disaster. There was a time um, back, you know, back in August where the fire was clearly gonna go over the Sierras over the summit going to make it into the basin of South Lake Tahoe. And I spoke with fire forecasters who thought that it was 
very possible that South Lake Tahoe would burn. From the pass, we could see where the fire had been carried into the valley, had burned very intensively, backed down the slope, uh, approaching the floor of the valley where homes are. And I have not heard of any instances of homes being burned in the Tahoe Basin um, from the Caldor Fire. So homes were largely spared. Oh, I think all of my neighbors are extremely grateful. We're, we're, all, just, we're all just happy and, and uh, feel so fortunate. Um, that Bob Larson is a homeowner who lives in the South Lake Tahoe area. He's been there, I, I think it was about 17 years he's lived in the area. And um, he was keenly aware that his home and his neighbor, neighbor's home lived in a place at high fire risk. And the fire is just about a block away, so we were very close. As you can see, we're just in a very forested area, and fire danger is very real here. And you know, his his home, um, beautiful home with a big deck, was bordered by forested land on one side and a golf course on the other side. So he knew the golf course uh, would provide good protection from a fire, but the section of his house that was uh, bordered by a forest was where he knew the risk was coming from. This is the portion of the forest where we spend our time. It's adjacent to our neighborhood, and so it's, um, it's yeah, it's hard to see it so, uh, so damaged. But it's not as bad as it could be, and it'll come back. It was a close call. He thought it was possible that he wouldn't have a home left, but he and all of his neighbors were really supportive of community efforts to treat forests in the area. And he had this buffer zone of these treated forests. And that, in combination with the hard work of firefighters, saved his home. You can see the fires right up against these homes, and um, none of these homes suffer damage. Um, there's, you know, again, right up against some of these backyards where uh, we just didn't see, see the impact. Why didn't these nightmare scenarios, you know, of, of the town burning, of hundreds if not thousands of people losing their homes, why didn't that end up happening? For a couple reasons. There were thousands and thousands of firefighters working day and night to protect the community. And then there was a slight shift in the winds, and, and that helped. But many people who I've talked to largely credit the work that was done ahead of time to get these forests in the right condition so that if a fire came, that it could be controllable. And there are a lot of lessons that many areas of the state can draw from the good preparatory work that had been going on for 15 years that very possibly saved the community. So when it comes to preparatory work, um, what was actually you know, physically done to the land in order to essentially save South Lake Tahoe from the Calder fire? Effectively landscaping and trying to get the forest into a more natural condition where there's not a ton of built up vegetation and brush and sticks, that takes some maintenance. And for eons, that maintenance was done by native people to, to maintain the health of the forest 
or lightning fires that were started and were allowed to just continue to burn because no one was putting them out. In the absence of any management, forests will just grow and grow and grow until they become overgrown and very dangerous and prone to destructive fires. So if you're trying to bring a forest back from that dangerous overgrown condition, that looks like crews with chainsaws, uh, lopping off small branches and gathering up brush, or it can look like machines that, that basically chew up wood. And the result is open forest that has a lot of big trees, it has some younger trees. And if one of those trees is on fire, it is not touching any other trees. So hmm. that's how those kind of forests change fire behavior, because the fire does not leap from one top of the tree to another. So if you're a firefighter uh, at the Caldor Fire, how might you actually feel the impact of this preparatory work? <laughs> I'm always weird out anyways. I've never really done interviews until this whole thing came into us. So I'm, I'm super I'm nice. Right on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Phil Heitzke works for the U.S. Forest Service um, in the South Lake Tahoe area. And he mm-hmm. helps oversee these projects get done, these treatment projects. And he took me to forested plots owned by the Forest Service but right up against a row of houses. Brought you here because this is kind of a prime example of uh, the turning point on the Caldor Fire when it came into the Lake Tahoe Basin and down to the Myers area, where we're able to actually get a foothold on this and steer it away from the community of Myers. This was one of the, you know, one of the areas where firefighters were preparing for a very intense fight. But what they saw was that as soon as the fire approached this unit that had been treated, the fire's behavior changed. Went from flame lengths the size of, you know, a three-story building to flame lengths that are a little bit taller than, you know, an average person. Uh, There's no way they can go direct on something that hot moving that quick with that intensity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, With the 20-foot flame length that they had in here, they're going pretty direct on this thing, uh, which actually makes it safer for firefighters. Flames came within maybe a football field or so of the homes, but they were able to go up closer to the fire and directly attack the fire. They don't have the unknown. They don't have a bunch of unburned fuel between them and the fire, and they're able to take care of it. The, the firefight was much easier for firefighters than it could have been. And, um, and he credits those treatments with saving those homes. This is where it was key for the dozers. They're able to bring bulldozers in and actually anchor off of this because it's safe to do so and take this all the way around the neighborhood um, to steer it away from the communities and back up the hill. One of the things I'd like to, to emphasize is that these treated areas don't stop a fire on their own, but they make it possible for firefighters to stop a fire. And that work got done over decades, and it still has to be maintained. Um, but that preparatory work laid the groundwork for, for this really successful firefight. What is it about South Lake Tahoe that made it so, so that work was done in this community? And, you know, clearly it paid off, and that's great. But why there and not other places? Phil Heidsky talks about this. I think it's because we are getting more community buy-in. 
in 2007, there was a bad fire that took out hundreds of homes called the Angora Fire. And that was a huge wake-up call that Tahoe is at risk of fires and that a lot of work needs, needs to be done to protect the community from fires. You know, over the years, we have worked very aggressively with our partners or cooperators, the public, to get everyone on board on the same page, you know, um, just building off of each year just to get that buy-in locally. Because um, once we can do that, it makes it easier to accomplish our fuels management objectives. The, the buy-in that I think exists in this community comes, I think, largely from that wake-up call of the Angora fire. I've been to other mountain communities where people were very skeptical of having their forests be treated because it does mean cutting down trees. As we know, South Lake Tahoe is also this kind of center of gravity in the Sierras. There's a lot of tourism. A lot of people have lived there year-round or have second homes there. There's a lot of wealth. There's a lot of highly educated people. There is, um, there's a lot of white conservationists. And the area has been very good at applying for grants and attracting funding to do this kind of treatment work. This, this work is very expensive, but Tahoe had, had a couple things going for it with this you know, highly involved conservation community that really believed in the value of prepping for fire. I feel like I've learned a lot over the last few months or the last year, mostly from you and your work, about the benefits of prescribed burns and of just prep work in general when it comes to fires. And this really seems like a a tangible example of how this worked. What would it actually take to do a lot more of this all over California? It is going to take training more people, having the funds to pay them, and political and social buy-in from people like us all over the state. And kind of stuff that sounds boring, but is really important, like, you know, cooperative agreements among agencies and involvement uh, of, of community groups. There needs to be kind of a framework for each region and money available for each region so that we don't see, you know, kind of a very well-resourced location attracting a lot of the funding and pulling it away from other places. What I think is really exciting, though, is that we are living through a time when a lot of people are talking about that. At, you know, at the root, it comes to kind of changing our culture and how we think about fire. And are we going to live with it and work with it? Or are we going to keep thinking that we can just hire more hand crews to, uh, to extinguish fires? It's pretty clear now that we need to pay a lot more attention to fire prevention. You know, I think it's a, uh, it's a model for what any community could do around their, you know, their community in the wild and urban interface. Um, these fires aren't getting any smaller. We just have to figure out how to manage them, how to get that steered back into the woods, let it do its natural thing. Um, this allowed us the opportunity to fight the fire on our terms. Danielle, thanks so much. Thank you, Alan. Danielle says more people with power in California are taking fire prep work seriously. Recently, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a slate of bills that are designed to make forest treatment easier. 
We're also aimed at getting a lot more people trained to do this kind of work. It's a big shift in priorities and attitude from state leadership. Kind of a sea change. Danielle Venton is a climate reporter for KQED. This episode of The Bay was cut and produced by Erica Cruz Guevara. Aditi Bunlamudi added the music and the tape. And I also want to thank Aditi for filling in on the show these past couple weeks and for doing such great work. The Bay is a production of your local public media station, KQED. I'm Alan Montecilio. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.